I, I read an interesting news item in USA Today, and the quote from the, from the news article said this, all day long, all day long, Christians tend to the suffering and the countless numbers that have no one to care for them. Others gather together from all parts of the region, those without enough food, and distribute bread to them. These deeds are on everyone's lips, and they were in awe of the God of the Christians. Now, that's not actually COVID here or any other part of the world, although it could be. Instead, it's the historian Eusebius's report of the Christians' response to a 4th century epidemic that swept through the Roman Empire. Eusebius makes the point that, contrary to most others, Christians did not flee from the cities, and they did not shut their homes. They modeled a compelling faith of care and love. The epidemic revealed who these Christians were. It made me wonder what this pandemic is revealing about us. Throughout this Easter season, our epistle readings have been taken from John's first letter. And a lot of that uh, is how we are to treat others, focused especially on the household of faith. How do we care for our brothers and sisters? But that then has implications for how we care for those in the larger community. In other words, if we can't do that at home, we can't do that out there. If we cannot love each other in real and meaningful ways, then how can we express God's love to the world? I think these readings are particularly timely, not just because it's Easter, but because of the year in which these readings find us. The challenges emerging from pandemic may be as great or even greater in some ways than what we faced when we first went into lockdown, especially when considering our relationships. Both of our New Testament readings today, that is, 1 John and then the Gospel of John, address loving others as an outgrowth of loving God. 1 John is this beautiful and lofty declaration of God's love for us and its motivation and source for our call to love one another. John's Gospel here speaks of response to God's love as abiding. And in verses 11 and 12, which weren't read, you just go on a little bit further, it tells us that this is the source of our joy. And then it reminds us we are to love one another as the Lord has commanded. So there's a lot of relationship between these two passages today, and mostly we're going to look at 1 John, that's where we are, but I just want to encourage us that the gospel is here ringing in our ears. So don't forget that. Let it it continue to, to do that. John writes as the elder to those he calls little children. And what we know of the context is there are disputes going on in this community, doctrinal disagreements that are begun by those who are challenging the teaching on the nature of Christ. And uh, I was part of a Bible study once many years ago. I was probably late 20s, <clears throat> living in Champaign, Illinois. And I was a lay person in the church, and we were talking about different things in the church, especially the, the early church. And one person said, oh, I just wish we could go back and be like the early church. If we could just be like the church in the first century. And um, I thought, oh, that's interesting. And the the pastor, who kind of smiled a little bit at that point, he said, have you ever read Acts? And really, if you think about it, almost all of the writings we have from the New Testament, I mean, I have New Testament scholars sitting here, but I, I think most of them have something to do with some disagreement or division or persecution 
Or, in the case of Corinth, just things being totally out of control. We don't need to go back to the first century. We have plenty of our own stuff to deal with, don't we? And it speaks to us powerfully that way. But in this community, this particular group had separated themselves, and then they challenged the validity of the other community members. Well, John doesn't spend a lot of time detailing what the disagreement is. What he does is show the members how to love one another in the midst of conflict. And this love is not self-generated. It is from God, where love originates. So those who know God, those who are born of God, practice love in action. If they don't, then they really don't know God, no matter what they say. That's pretty challenging. Yet it's clear. Thomas Merton cautioned. He said, people don't want to hear any more words. He says, in our age, all words have become alike. To say God is love, he said, is like saying, eat Wheaties. Now, that's a little dated. <laughs> so I'm going to update it. Maybe uh, what he's saying is the words just become slogans. Maybe it's like saying, God is love, it's finger-licking good. I mean, whatever, I don't know. I think, I think Nikes would be better. God is love, just do it, right? But since God's love is the source, then I think that's where we begin. That's where we look. Often we, we get caught up in techniques and so on for how to love our brother and sister better. And, you know, we can look at that. That's important. But, but not if we've neglected the depth of, of God's love for us and our love for God, because that is the source of how we're able to do the other. We must know God. We must call others to know him. I think that's why the church's work in the world is so unique. Others can do good work. Other organizations can make important efforts for the common good. But the church expresses the love of God and invites people into the kingdom of God as part of God's redemptive activity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Professor Stephen Krafchick, who is uh, at Candler, says, coming to know the God who is love involves at least three elements. And I'm just using his framework a little bit here to, to move into this. First, he says, is acknowledging what God has done. The loving act of sending the Son into the world. That sounds a lot like John chapter 3, doesn't it? For God so loved the world, he sent. The sending was so that we might have life, as we see in verse 9. Jesus is also sent as an offering for our sins, verse 10. And he was sent as the Savior of the world, verse 14. The sending is sacrifice and care. It's promise and it's expectation. And you know, God continues to send out of love. The Spirit calls apostles who are sent into the world in mission. That's what the word means, apostle. And the church itself is sent. I mean, we say this in the creed, don't we? The church is not only Catholic, which means universal, but it's also apostolic. The church is sent into the world to preach the good news. And sending in this way is love of the deepest order. You may know, and we've not really had an opportunity to do this for a while. Um, we're going to have an opportunity soon and then ongoing, I think, as we come back together, is that we send people from Redeemer when God calls. We don't just say, well, you know, good luck, right when you find work. <laughs> no, we, we send people whenever we have that opportunity. And this can be hard. It leads to separation, doesn't it? And absence 
and longing, but it expresses love. It expresses love, and it shows God's sovereign work. When we have sent families to live in Rwanda, which we have done, we are showing love in a way that is costly. That's like God's love. And each Sunday, as our worship comes to an end here, we are not dismissed, which is what I was told growing up. It's like, all right, you guys, we're done. You're dismissed. But we're sent into the world to love and serve the Lord. So let's acknowledge first that 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 act of what God has done in sending Christ, that is love. Secondly, we come to know the God who is love in recognizing the scope of what's been done. Jesus is sent for us, yes. That is the the brothers and sisters, this community in in his church. But in verse 14, the sending is much broader. It refers to all of God's created order. The life of the risen Christ reaches out in love to all of creation, all of the social order of the world around us. The love of God is not narrow or stingy or limited, but it has breadth and life and height and depth that cannot be exhausted, as St. Paul tells us. We want to never limit the scope of God's redemption. We want to never think anyone is beyond the reach of his love or his power to change and transform. Because a narrow and rigid view of of God's love and the reach of his salvation will only result in a narrow, rigid, and stingy love that we're able to offer to others and to the world. And then thirdly, Professor Kraftcheck states that we, we come to know the loving God in confessing the uniqueness of his Son. This is verse 9, the only Son. It's what we say in the Creed each week. Christ is unique. He is the only Son of God. Eternally begotten from the Father. And this is John chapter 1, too, isn't it? Because if we start to get squishy on this, then we'll lose focus of the loving God who sends and it was the source of our love for one another. It's why the question, who is Jesus, remains so important. There are many children of God, but only one Son. So the statements that we have in 1 John 4 about our love for one another are all tied to God's love and the recognition of God's love and the receptivity of his love and the response to his love. Knowing God is primary. There's absolute dependence here. It's about relying on the love of God for life and for the love to offer others. And this love isn't all warm feelings. It's the raw reality of being in relationship with those who are different in so many ways and who may even disagree strongly with us, yet recognizing that we are one in truth because of God's sacrificial love for us. This love is a gift, but it's also a discipline. It involves truth and mercy together, confession, forgiveness, the fruit of the Spirit, and the absence of fear. Brene Brown. <laughs> well, I really, I encourage you if, you, if you haven't gotten to know her, to read her. I mean, she doesn't write, quote, Christian books, but she writes from a perspective that is rooted in that. And she says, people want love to be unicorns and rainbows. And then you send Jesus and people say, oh, Love is hard. Love is sacrifice. Love is trouble. Love is rebellious. She says, love isn't hearts and bows. It's, in fact, it's very controversial. 
In order for forgiveness to really happen, something has to die. Whether it's your expectations of a person or your idea about who you are, there has to be a death for forgiveness to happen. In all of these faith communities where forgiveness is easy and love is easy, she says, there's not enough blood on the floor to make sense of that. That's a really strong and shocking statement, isn't it? But I think it's the kind of thing John is addressing in his letter. I mean, he's lofty, he's got this beautiful language, and it sounds better from him, but he's talking about something here really costly. When he insists that if you don't love your brother and sister, you don't love God and says you're a liar, that's just as shocking. He's saying something foundational and essential. Peter Kreeft declares, love is not nice. Love is a fire. Love is a storm. It's earthquake. It's a volcano. It's lightning and hurricane. Love banged out the big bang and endured the hell of the cross. That isn't all love is, thankfully. But if that's not a possibility, then it's not love. What it comes down to is this, I think. Are we willing to love our brothers and sisters, including the ones we struggle with? Are we willing to love them the way that God loves them and loves us? Are we willing to be renewed in our knowledge of God and our experience and our, our knowledge of God's love so that his love can flow through us to one another? Are we willing to be humbled, to give up for another's sake, to listen and to learn, to make sacrifices? Are we willing to not keep score? Can we embrace the change that God brings our way? I wrote in the update this week, if you saw it, about the need for kindness, especially in this time of emerging from pandemic. We've been through a lot. And, uh, and we carry sorrow around because of the many losses and things that are now different. And yet, sorrow, when it's borne fruit by the Spirit, brings us to kindness. We just need kindness. And there are things to, to grieve. I mean... For instance, I grieve over the loss of recognizing people because of all the face covering. I mean, I was in the airport the other day, and um, there was no way you could tell who anybody was. I mean, <clears throat> this, you know, this is the, if you're going to be a bank robber, this is the era, I guess, to, to do it. And I mean, <laughs> just like everybody wears masks now. And I think, you know, I, I grieve over that, and there's something about it, I think, that strikes at the heart of who we are made to be as people, to be known, to, to, to have fellowship face-to-face. -face. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic with those who are like, not going to do it. But I will wear a face covering out of love for my brothers and sisters. If that is what is needed. And I think there are many other similar decisions that we face and will face. And we hope to approach them with truth and mercy, but also kindness for each other out of love. So this, this, this message from John today about loving one another is not something for the first century only. It's something we are going to have an opportunity to practice. We already are. And I want us to practice it with truth, but also with kindness. God's love. The Italians have a beautiful expression for love. Ti voglio bene. And often it's translated as, I love you. But literally it means, I wish you good, or I wish, I, I want what is good for you. 
I want what is good for you. Love is not just what makes me happy. Real love leads me to desire what is the best for you, for the other, for my brother and sister, and for my neighbor, and also for brothers and sisters in different places, in distant places, who are struggling and suffering. Can we love like that? (laughs) I mean, it's a place to grow, isn't it? But as we know the love of God, as we press into God's love and recognize what he has done and abide in him, then we will be given the gift of love for others. And we will grow in our ability to follow his command. Do you struggle to love someone? I mean, is there somebody, when I say that, just comes to your mind? Um, If not, bless you. (laughs) Um, I have a number of those people who... Either I struggle with or I know they struggle with me, right? Press in, then, to the love of God, into the reality of God's love, into the reality of what God has done through love. And then bring that person in prayer into that conversation with God and God's love. And see what God will do. Don't be afraid. This is God's work in us. Dear friends, let us love one another. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.